the ring is treated as a sacred object almost. And this is actually linked back to Hinduism, where in Hinduism, like if a woman has a period, she can't go into a temple. Welcome to Muyi, the first platform created to educate and inspire Muay Thai fighters and enthusiasts. We aim to pave a clearer path for those that need it the most. Equal pay, equal spotlight, equal opportunities. Muay Thai forever. Hello and welcome to Muying the podcast. Today we have Helen Tran on the show to talk about Buddhism and spirituality in Muay Thai. Helen is an Australian photographer that's been living in Phuket, Thailand for the last few years. She's shot dozens of Muay Thai fights ringside and is a key member at Revolution Muay Thai in Phuket. Welcome to Muying, Helen. Thanks for coming on to chat. How has your week in Muay Thai been? Ah, oh, hi, Angela. Thanks for having me on. It's been a busy week for me, but everything is going well. The weather's getting really nice now. So, yeah, happy to see things moving in Muay Thai. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Helen, uh, me and you, we've been friends for several years now. Could you just give a very brief overview of your journey into the sport of Muay Thai and how you found yourself to be not a fighter on that side of the lens, but the photographer on the other side of the camera? Well, for me, I've always been a photographer. I mean, I've been a photographer for over, I think it's over 12 years now. So I started Muay Thai, my Muay Thai journey very late. And so, you know, I tend to photograph the things that I'm interested in. So once I got into Muay Thai and committed to it as as a sport, as something that I really loved and enjoyed doing, I started photographing it as well. And so I started that doing that in Sydney and that's where I'm originally from and yeah basically I photographed and I didn't want to become a fighter because I knew well firstly because I started Muay Thai late and you know I started also later on in my journey I managed a Muay Thai gym so I know what it takes the effort that fighters do you know, what they sacrifice or basically how they commit to their journey as a fighter. And I knew that really wasn't for me. But I enjoyed the sport immensely and I enjoy technique and all that. So that, like photographing it, really helps me understand Muay Thai as well, actually, because, you know, I'm always there looking at fighters and what their technique is like and, you know, just trying to get the right moment. So. Yeah, I was able to merge my two loves into one. I always say like fighting's not for everyone, but when it comes to Muay Thai, like there's something in Muay Thai for everyone. So I think it's great that you were able to find that overlap that one was made you happy and two was more you. What interesting things do you see as an observer? Well, I had this pro I was working on this project, which I'm still kind of working on, but more on the completion side of it and what I noticed was that there was a disparity between female fighters and male fighters in Thailand so I based my project on that so that's one of the things that I was able to observe in photographing Muay Thai you know I saw that a lot of male fighters had more attention than the female fighters and they struggled to get a lot of fights as well so basically I wanted to tell their stories through my photos 
And that's what I set out to do. And I think I worked on that for about one and a half years, I think it was. And yeah, it's been really interesting. And, you know, being able to go to the stadiums and all that has been an amazing experience. Like to see real Muay Thai, you know, like everything is Muay Thai, but then to witness it at the stadium in Thailand, you know, with the gamblers, and the crowd and just that energy there is just really something that's amazing to see and to feel and to be a part of, actually. Super cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely a very intense feeling being in those stadiums. Like you feel yeah. everyone's energy, you feel their excitement, you feel their nervousness, you feel like the wins and the losses. And even if you don't know the person, you all those emotions come out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know like if it's actually going moving forward. I wonder whether it's going to be like that again, actually. So it's something interesting that we're going to like watch this space and see how it, it develops. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Helen, you're a religious person and also very spiritual. Those two aspects are similar, but still different. And people sometimes get them mixed up. What do you think the differences are between religion and spirituality and where do they overlap? I don't know whether I'm actually like a religious person rather like you know I'm Buddhist and my parents were Buddhist so it was something that I was born into but you know my family never really did much about it like you know other than the traditions that like you kind of do like if someone had to go to church and they'd go to church but then not really understanding something so you know, sometimes for New Year's or for these occasions, we'd go to the temple or we set up an altar and do our thing. But I didn't really get into it until much later. And I can't say that I'm actually a religious person, but there are some practices that I do. And I would say I'm more of a spiritual person because I think, you know, it's just the path that I live by rather than. I'm not sure, like, I'd say that religion and spirituality is very much similar to each other, though. But there's such a, uh, I don't know, it's, I wouldn't say it's taboo, but there's just such a name associated to say that you're a religious person these days. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like a stigma or, mm-hmm. I don't know, actually. I think people, they tend to think of extremists. That's probably Yeah, why. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Obviously, there are extremists in every religion, every following of any sort. But when I meant like religious person, it just meant like someone who practices the religion and tries to learn more about it. That's mm. all I meant. Like, I don't mean oh, any yeah. form of like, yeah, because I think we, we think of the extremists in every religious thing. And then we that's why I think that's part of why like there's such a taboo around like calling yourself religious or calling someone else religious. Mm. Um, so I myself, I grew up also from a Buddhist family. My parents are Buddhist. They were raised Buddhist from the countries that they were from and within their families. And similar to what you said, like growing up, I didn't know anything. I mean, I didn't know much about Buddhism. I just went to the temple whenever it was like Lunar New Year or whenever my mom was like, oh, we're going to go to the temple today. But, you know, my parents, they're not very like spiritual or religious. So I grew up not really knowing much about it. And I actually learned 
like a little bit in school about it. And I was like, oh, this is what it stands for. Like I can kind of get into this, but it kind of just like stopped whatever I learned in school, which isn't much. So how did you get from a similar point as me to where you are now, where you have, where it's taken such a big part of your life and you try to live by a lot of the principles? I think it's because I had questions. Like, I mean, not questions as in who is God, but I struggled with, I think in the past I had struggled like with a sense of what was going on, where I was in the world, you know, and I was always very like my emotions were always up and down. So how I got into Buddhism was like partly, or spirituality anyway, was through, you know, because of all dealing with my emotions and all that and not really understanding where I was in the world, like, or my place, I got into it by like through meditation and, you know, just I was lucky enough to when you start going on your path, right, sometimes like a teacher would appear, you know, and there are lessons along the way. Like you would meet people who kind of like steer you in the right direction. I was lucky enough to have that. So I think in my questions, like it was easy because I was born like my parents were Buddhist and I was born Buddhist it was easy for me to start to learn more about it so I started reading and just finding out more about like what Buddhism was and what it stood for basically and you know once I started looking into it it was like okay so it's not really a religion per se but it was more like you know because Buddha himself was like yeah you know you've got these things that you can follow but hey, just try it out. You know, you can make mistakes. It's okay. So I, I liked mm-hmm. that, you know, and it was like, okay, it's not like saying do this, do that. It's like, just see how it goes. And, and yeah, even with my very limited understanding and knowledge of Buddhism, I always saw it as more of a philosophy than a yeah. religion. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Like, I mean, it really is more of a philosophy. Like once you start reading it, reading more about it there's a lot of things like basically that you know has to do with philosophy and I think that's why that's what got me interested in it as well because I like philosophy I like discussing things about the world yeah just thinking about things introspection and things like that yeah definitely so upon your research did you learn that there are different types of Buddhism? Because from what I know, there are two like broad schools of it. And this one school that you see in most Eastern Asian countries, such as Taiwan, uh, parts of Japan. And there's another school of it that you see in Southeast Asia, such as Thailand. Mm. Yeah. You know, there are a few differences. Like in Japan, I think there's different names for it, which I can't really recall right now there's no I can't recall it but there are different names so like for example where I grew up I mean not where I grew up but where my parents grew up in Vietnam like um, Buddhism over there is actually different to Buddhism in Thailand and it's really interesting because you know now that I live I've been living in Thailand I've been learning a little bit more about it and it's just different because Buddhism has always been like linked, like it started off with Hinduism, like with the roots from there, of course. And so what you notice 
in Thailand and in Cambodia, like, you know, even the buildings themselves are very, like, similar to Hinduism. And, you know, it's just so very complex because there's all these these deities as well that you would only see more in Thailand or Cambodia or and maybe Laos as well. And then it's different from, like, Buddhism in Vietnam, like the deities that you see there. And Yeah, one of the uh, things that I noticed when I first moved over to Thailand was the deities. I was like, hmm, isn't, like, the elephant god, isn't that part of Hinduism? Like, why is it here in a Sakyat, which is viewed very as very uh, Buddhist? Yeah, yeah, because Buddhism in Thailand is linked to animism as well. And this is all the, well, it's linked to animism, Buddhism, and Hinduism. And it's just like over the years, you know, the culture has just merged and everything's just come together. And then now they call it Buddhism because like, you know, the monks, they do the Sakyan. And technically, actually, if you, you know, there's some parts in Buddhism where it's like, when I started to learn about it, I was like, well, I thought, you know, because Sakyans are like, a, it's like a magical thing. That's the belief, you know, that it's got protective stuff. And when I was learning about it, I was like thinking, I thought magic was really not something that the Buddha himself like believed in. Like he said, because I think he said, don't, you know, concentrate on that. So, you know, just live life sort of simply. And so, so then I was like, well, why are they doing sakyans and all that, you know? And then I realized that, okay, well, that's part of like animism, which is before Buddhism, that's, it's kind of like a base, base sort of religion that they used to do, which is more, uh, respecting the gods, having different gods and all that and spirits, basically like that. So, yeah, the Sakyan has come into Thai, but yeah, it's a little bit different. And then somehow along the way, like now it's seen as like a Muay Thai thing, even though it's not. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everyone that does Muay Thai, they think, oh, Sakyan. But it's like it's actually for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's mm-hmm. not only for people that do Muay Thai. It's not a Muay Thai only uh, tattoo. Yeah. It's you know, really because it's for fighters because they want protection and good luck. So that's why they go and do it. But any other, like even policemen, any other sort of like person, if they want something, a protection or, you know, good luck in something, they would get a fucking up. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. the biggest takeaway from all that is that there's different kinds of Buddhism and then like Buddhism in Thailand and a couple other countries in the area, they're different in and of itself like it's a it seems like it's a big combination of different cultures and a little other than like different beliefs too that kind of ha it's made its own ecosystem in a way yeah definitely i think i saw like a there was a, a youtube video somewhere i can't remember what it was so i can't link you to it but it was just a little clip where there was a guide and he was taking these people to one of these temples and I think it was probably, it was either Thailand or somewhere in Cambodia. And there was, in the temple, there was a picture of, you know, like, uh, 
within the temple, uh, the, the building structure and how they have the carvings. There was a carving of maybe one of the deities. I can't remember who it was. And then so the people were like, they pointed to the deity and I was like, do you know who that is? And then the tour guide was like, oh, it's Buddha. It wasn't. <laughs> you know? uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you can find the video, I could put it in the show notes if people are interested in looking at that. I mean, not that it's like, uh, it's just proving like one of your points or just showing a point you're trying to make. It's not like extremely important in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. things though, right? Uh, if I can find what it, are, I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like we talked about some misconceptions in Buddhism and also Buddhism in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Are there any other misconceptions that you see people kind of walking around and just saying, or do you do you have any that you realize during your time towards the spirituality level that you have now? Mm, can you elaborate on that? What like, so one of the misconceptions on Buddhism, specifically in Thailand, is that like Sakyans are Buddhist, but there's actually more and more layers to it, as you just explained. Are there any other misconceptions about Buddhism in Thailand that you've noticed or that you've learned? No, I don't think so. Not that I've noticed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's more like just within, like I mean, the main different thing that like that's different from other cultures, like I mean, other Buddhist areas, is what makes Thailand just so different. You know, with like you know, because they have Sakyans, but then actually in Cambodia they have it as well and that's probably where it started from. And people mm-hmm. can argue. People will argue about it. So, you know, I'm not a historian, so I, I can't say where it came from, but that's just the main difference that I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, you know, we talked about Sakyans and you explained the significance of it and it's linked to Buddhism and spirituality. How about we take some other items that we see in Muay Thai and maybe you can give your two cents on them. Yeah, okay. Okay, so when fighters go into the ring, they wear a monkon, which is the headband looking thing. And they also wear yep. their prajiats, which is the armbands. Like, can you elaborate on why fighters do that, especially the Buddhist ones? Okay, so this goes back to history of like, you know, the fighters who were in the past they were more like warriors and before they go to fight, they would wear a piece of their mother's clothing as a good luck thing. And those, the good luck thing is usually blessed. So that's, I believe that's why they have the Prajyats and the Monkon. And, you know, now Muay Thai is basically, you know, a fighting sport rather than like a combat like warriors. It's that tradition has just come, you know, uh, filtered down. So basically just for luck and a protection mm-hmm. for them before their fight. And, you know, when you walk into the ring and you're sealing the ring, that's like paying respect to, to your gym and paying respect to your teachers, most importantly. And the, your teachers is basically your trainer, but you know, in saying your teachers, it's also like, it's your Ajahn. And when you say Ajahn in Thailand, it's like teacher, but with a lot of respect. So you think like, um, when you call someone Ajahn in Thailand, it doesn't mean just teacher. It's like 
there's a lot of respect to that. So that's what it is. And when you're sealing the ring, it's like you're going to all the corners like of the compass to basically to put your energy within and just for good luck. Like everything is like, it's really funny because when I speak to my Ajahn, like who does my Sakyan, he's, I was like, what does this mean? You know, what's this mean? And he's like, oh, good luck. Everything's good luck. (laughs) But but they're all different. Like they're all different, like Sakyan styles. But at the end of the day, really, it is pretty much good luck. (laughs) Well, everyone wants some fortune in their lives, you know. Yeah. It's unpredictable. So why not? (laughs) Yeah. Something else I've heard about sealing the ring too is also how it seals off the ring from evil. What do you think about that statement? Yeah, I would say that that would be true because like you're walking around, right? And you're basically putting your energy throughout and you're, you know, if you notice like TIE fighters, like, you know, they're touching the ring. So yeah, that's the sacred space. Basically the ring is the sacred space for you to fight in. So. What is considered evil? Like, what are these things that they don't want entering the ring? That I don't know. I can only speculate because, you know, there's outside influences that can happen. Like, you got to think about, like, the Sakyans, if they're a magical tattoo, or no, let's not talk about it as a tattoo. Like, Sakyans are basically, because you can do Sakyans in as a tattoo, and you can do it as, like, on the pieces of cloth and you know that's originally how it started with the cloths and all that and then now they just put it on the bodies so I guess sealing in sealing the ring and all that like you know you don't want any external influences to come in to challenge you or challenge a person when they're fighting mm-hmm. yeah so so then back to like what you said about a lot of things being for good luck is there any concern, do you think, of other people wishing you bad luck? Would that be, would, do you think that's something that crosses someone's mind when they're Oh, yeah. Them? I mean, okay, so when you think about, like, okay, with Muay Thai, yeah, sometimes you see people with, you know, these charms and all that. And that, like, those charms are also, like, they're lucky charms and all that, but they're blessed items as well, similar to Sakyant. And, you know, they wear them as pendants. And so, yeah, I mean, if I've seen in some fights where, like, if a fighter wins his fight, they'll be gifted with one of these, like, amazing, amazing pendants for good luck. So you can say that the opposite thing would happen, like, because these guys are, like, gambling as well, you know. So the gamblers, like, really believe in these, like, items. And so... If they believe in good luck, then of course, like someone would also wish someone ill feeling or some bad luck to happen so that they personally could win the fight and win their money. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. Of course. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We talked a lot about like sealing a ring, which is part of the Y crew. And mm-hmm. uh, Y crew in Thai, it literally means respecting your teacher. Like, why mm-hmm. is the motion of putting your hands together and kind of like, putting your head down a little bit. And in Thailand, it's used as a greeting. Also in other countries in the area, it's used mm-hmm. as a greeting and also as like a sign of respect. There are differences in the why and the lower the level in the why, 
the less respect level you're giving the person you're lying mm. to and the higher the why goes up on the head the more respect you're it's going to do you see any links to this with the buddhism that they have in thailand yeah for sure when i first came to thailand i was like i was worrying like this at first and then one of my trainers actually told me he was like no you don't do that to people because that's for buddha because you know it's at the top of your mm. head he goes, you would only do that, like, at the temple and all that. He goes, you don't do it to your teachers. So, like, maybe with your teachers, it's just a little bit lower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting. And that's a, yeah, yeah that, yeah, that is definitely interesting. Uh, something else I heard was that, uh, oh, women also don't lie with their hands up that high. That was something else I heard as well. Uh, there was a Thai trainer who was like, oh, no, no, you lady, you don't lie like that. Only men lie like that. Oh. And I didn't, I mean, me being, like, uh new to the sport like i saw men why pretty high to their ajans or other ajans at the gym and then when i like try to learn by watching mm-hmm. so then when i did the same there a lot of them were like no 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 uh you don't do that you just do it ah, a little bit lower interesting uh, yeah i mean i don't know if that's like a buddhism thing or if it's more of a cultural thing or maybe a bit of both but it was just also something else that i wanted to point out in a way mm-hmm. so then there's a lot of things in Thailand and Thai Buddhism about like levels, right? Like the why being one of them, like the higher you are on something, what would be a good term? Like the more respect it's given. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also given to the Moncon. Like one of the rules of the Moncon is that it cannot touch the floor. Mm. What is the significance of the floor or the lack of significance of the floor? Like why can't something that's blessed be on the floor well because it's basically to do with the levels anything that's on the floor is like considered as dirty you know Mm -hmm. so obviously a blessed item it has to be like at the top you can never put it on the ground because that's disrespecting it you know Mm -hmm. also in even not just thai buddhism but even like but more so actually with thai buddhism actually because Thais, they say that the feet is dirty so that's the lowest part and when you go to a temple you never point your feet towards buddha never so mm-hmm. you know but i mean this is the same in like other countries as well but it's more noted in thailand that's what i've i've noticed and they make it a point you just never point your feet towards like uh buddha yeah so in with the Mong Kong, it's the same thing because you're putting that on your head, you know. So that's why I must never like touch the ground because it's such a blessed item. So Where do people uh, usually put their Mong Kong. Yeah, when you go to fights and all that, I love. This is what like one of the things that I really love to see because it's like you know, there's so much respect for this Mong Kong. You know, they always put it at the top somewhere. They'll find like an area where they can put it up and then you'll see like Mong Kong's like around, you know, hung up somewhere. And I think that's a really nice, I think it's nice tradition. Like it's not just a tradition, but I mean, it's something that's uniquely Thai and also like for Muay Thai, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I see someone like putting the Mong Kong on the ground, I, even I'm like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be, you know, putting it at the top. But even I know that, some people like 
they say that like women can't really touch the Mongkongs as well. Some Mongkongs you shouldn't be touched because I remember once I think I accidentally reached to grab one and they were like, no, 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 don't because you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. We're definitely going to touch upon the differences of like what women can or cannot do in like the realm of Buddhism mm. in Thailand and how it relates to Muay Thai. But back to the Mongkon thing is like, I've even heard like at some points, it's like, you know, a lot of Mongkons are blessed by a monk. And I've even heard some people saying like, oh, once it touches the floor, the good luck is gone. And I do think it's interesting. Like you said, just when you go to the fights and stuff, uh, people carry it around like it's more valuable than anything they have on them at the moment more valuable than money more valuable than their phone if they have no place to put it it's on someone's shoulder they're not just going to mm. leave it on the table somewhere where it can accidentally be lost or accidentally fall to the floor like people take such good care of the moncons and then they make sure that it has a place to go as soon as they get to the stadium or the venue so it's definitely like very interesting to note like as someone who's been in thailand same as you like there are people who are don't seem like spiritual or religious and then as soon as they get to the fights that part of them is turned on in a way yeah yeah it's kind of so cute like uh, <laughs> it's it's nice it's something nice to see especially see like a big trainer and he's just like <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah let's go back to what women can and cannot do in muay thai and in relation to like Buddhism. So mm -hmm. one of the things is women going under the bottom rope of the ring. Like, because we talked so much about levels and how the lower the level, the less respect you're given, the higher the level, the more respect you're given. Like women going under the most bottom rope in the ring and not in Thailand, women, they don't have the option. They're forced to go under the bottom rope. And if any woman tries to go between the ropes or over the top rope, they get a lot of flack from it from just the people like the Thai people that are there to watch the gamblers and everything like that because I've always gone under the ropes in Thailand not, I just never questioned it because for me it was like all right I something feels off about this and maybe I don't agree with men going one way and women being forced to go another way but also I'm here to fight and it's not something I'm going to put too much energy towards and I remember there is this one time when a trainer just kind of temporarily forgot in like the craziness of a fight. I finished the fight, the decision was made, and I was about to exit the ring. And then the trainer like automatically pushed down the top rope as he would for like any of his other fighters who are not women. And then all of a sudden, everyone in the crowd was like, hey, 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 pooing, pooing, which means a uh, woman in Thai. Yeah. And then they were like, no, 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 she can't go over it. And he was so embarrassed and he had to, he was like, apologizing he's like oh i'm sorry i just forgot and then he had to lift up the bottom rope so i could roll out from under mm -hmm. it and this thing it kind of rubs a lot of especially westerners the wrong way yeah um a lot of westerners are like well why am i going under the bottom rope why am i seen as beneath men why am i seen as subpar to men so what is the reason why women have to go under the ropes in a muay thai ring uh, that one, I don't really know that much. Like, I mean, that's more of a tradition with Muay Thai, I would say. Like, it's mm -hmm. more of a Thai tradition. Um, probably the real reason, like, it's just lost, like, along the way. Unless, yeah, I have asked. I have asked some old trainers as well, like, 
you know, the ones who've been around for a while and they just, they never really gave me an answer that I thought was, you know, whether it was logical or whether it made any sense. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. they really knew themselves. So I... It was, it's just like an accepted yeah. uh, thing. Okay. And yeah. what about women not being able to touch certain rings? So then up until very, very recently, Numpini, they didn't mm-hmm. allow women to touch the ring. Forget about fighting on it. Like, touch it with their hand yeah. or accidentally brush up against it. And there are some stadiums that are still like that. Why was that? That one is like, I believe that it's because the ring is treated as a sacred object almost. And this is actually linked back to Hinduism, where in Hinduism, like if a woman has a period, she can't go into a temple. So it's basically like that. That's what I believe. That's why they can't touch the ring. But then in like in Thailand, they would say that it's because it's bad luck. Whenever if a woman touches a ring, you know, like especially at Lumpani before, if a woman had, there was one woman that had touched the ring and that time, I think all the fighters suffered like bloody cuts or the fights were really violent and all that. So then they were like, okay, it's bad luck for women to touch the ring. Going back to Hinduism where it's like a woman can't enter a temple because when she had her period, she can't enter a temple. I believe that's similar to uh, women not being allowed to touch the ring because it's like, how do you know that a woman is, has her menses, you know? So that's why it's like, oh, just don't touch her at all. And it's because a woman's energy is like when she's on her menses, it's like, it kind of disrupts the energies in the temple. This is what I heard. So it disrupts the energies at the temple. So I would say that it's similar to pretty much like the ring because it's mm-hmm. a sacred area. So it really is, you know, if you think about it, it's like if you're entering the ring, that's like the temple for Moikai in a way, mm-hmm. right? So by a woman not touching the ring, like if she touches it, then her energy would disrupt whatever it is. Is there anything else aside from menstruation that makes women so not sacred? (laughs) Wait, not sacred? Um, Yeah, so I mean, like, you know, there's talks about, like, this place being sacred and the ring being sacred, and then if a woman touches it, then it kind of makes it not sacred. Like, is there anything else aside from a woman bleeding, um, uh, having a period? It's not that it's not sacred. I'd say that it just disrupts the energy of that area. So because it's like a woman is actually like her energy is actually very, very strong, especially during the time of her menus, you know, like, so, I mean, if you go back into like, see this, like if you go back into, you know, those pagan times, even they would say that during the time of the month, that's when like a woman is actually powerful or you know, her energy is very strong and can be disruptive. And usually, like, when she has her men's use, it's usually on a full moon. So so they say it would disrupt the energy. is a bit weird then, too. I wouldn't really say that it doesn't make it not sacred, but I would say that it just changes the energy. And then now, that, like... Uh, sorry, go on. So, and then now, like, you know, that's what I believe in, like... and. And that's what I heard. 
And it kind of sounds like it kind of makes sense to me. It's like, okay, I tried to find some more information on that and to research it, but it's really hard. There's, mm-hmm. I think because there's just, you know, so much history and like, you know, throughout the years, they just passed down the information. Well, I think I just had a little blackout just then here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, throughout the years, you know, it's just something that, just becomes accepted and then they're like oh you can't touch it like why you just can't Mm. you know yeah I mean you know back to when you started talking about like women's energy how it could disrupt it it really took me back to like when I started thinking about witches because witches they were always seen as women and it's like oh no you're going to cause this this and this and then they would burn them you know so yeah and it's interesting that you bring out the point of how like they don't want women to touch certain things because of how powerful their energy could be, as opposed to how a lot of people view it as like, oh, women are beneath, which I mean, in certain constructs, this is still very much the norm. But the way that you kind of see it is like, oh, women's energies are actually far more powerful than a man's energy, which is why it can disrupt something so much. Yeah, 100%. I mean. Well, that's what I believe in. And I mean, that's how it was told to me as well. And it just made more sense as rather than saying that a woman is like beneath or it's dirty, you know, it's something that's, you know, yeah. So things being like tradition and just being done for the sake of getting done and for the sake of like, oh, this is what taught to me. So this is what I'm going to do. Like, where do you personally draw the line between tradition and what you think is right or wrong? I think it's more like, okay, you know, you try and find out as much history as you can about it. And then like, doesn't make sense. You know, mm-hmm. like if it makes sense, then okay. Yeah. If it's logical, it can be logical, but sometimes things are not logical, but then, you know, I think it's what resonates as well. Like when you learn about some things and yeah, sometimes I guess it was like one of my teachers that just the way that he told it to me where it was like, that made a lot more sense to me than, you know, it was backed up by a lot of other things as well. But when he told me that, it was like, hey, that's really interesting. And it just made more sense to me. So you've got tradition, but then sometimes tradition is like, if no one can give you a proper answer. And if their answers are like, it's as if that, like the way that they answer you is more like a flippant sort of answer where they don't really know themselves. And then you just got to keep on digging for more answers until you kind of uncover the truth in a way. Mm-hmm. Does and that then make for sense? your own opinion about it. Yeah, yeah. that's it. So I, in Thailand, I train at a gym where there are, a couple of rings that women can't touch and monks have come in to bless the ring. Do you know what process it is that monks do in order to actually bless the ring or bless a gym or bless a home? Like, are those all similar things? No, I actually don't know the process. I haven't really seen it, but I mean, I've been blessed by monks and no, I've, I've seen it. Actually. I've, I mean, I haven't seen them do a blessing on the gym, but I have mm-hmm. seen, you know, I've, you know, I've gone to the temple where the monk has blessed me and then I've gone to some like other temples where it's a different sort of blessing as well. 
I'd say that they have their own sort of, it's something that they learn that they do. And it's just part of, you know, the Dharma that they follow. And I don't really know what the process is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the things about Buddhism is that it's seen as something that's very peaceful. Like a lot of people, they associate Buddhism with a lot of meditating, which is something that you participated. And meditation is also like something that's seen as very peaceful. Buddhism is also seen as something like nonviolent and they practice things like pacifism. So going on to say that Buddhism preaches nonviolence. And when you look at Muay Thai, it's something that's violent. Right. At least when you look at it from like a fighting standpoint, uh, how do you think this consolidates with each other? Hmm, that's a good question. I think I need to think more about this question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's okay. Uh, I don't know if I can actually answer you today about it, but it is something mm-hmm. that I'd like to think deeply on and come back to you. Yeah, yeah, that. of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I can always like add in whatever thoughts that you may come up with, and you know, just take your time. Okay. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I, I threw that in from like out of nowhere too. Yeah. So are there any other Buddhist aspects that you know are in Muay Thai or you see in Muay Thai that some people who are there temporarily don't really get to notice? Well, I mean, it's, if you're starting in Muay Thai that you don't really know that the Y crew or the Mongkong or the Praja are actually like, they're linked to Buddhism, you know, even, even like, you know, especially like the white crew and people don't know that they think, Oh, it's just a dance or something that you do, but it's actually linked to Buddhism. So in Thailand. So I think it, those are the main things and they don't realize that even the Sakyan, some people are like when they first come to Thailand or when they first start out in Muay Thai, they're like, Oh, I just want that tattoo that Muay Thai fighters have. And then they'll go to a tattoo shop and then they'll get it done when really like, you know, it should be done by a monk because it's actually a blessing and, you know, there's a process around it, right? So, and even the Sakyants, like, you know, there's special words of power or luck and whatnot that these monks and all, and the Ajans, like, they learn and they study it for years and years and years to go to a tattoo shop and to have someone just get a copy of it. It's like, no, it's, it's, yeah, it's a little bit like buying like an original from the artist themselves versus just copying and pasting it and then like running it through a printer without, yeah, without, it's, it's, yeah. it's a little bit like that. I mean, yeah. different, but a little bit. Same, same, but different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, but you don't even get like the whole aspect of like the fortune or, you know, the blessing on it. It's just something that doesn't make sense. That it's might something not that's even- aesthetic. As opposed to like yeah. the locket rings or whatever. Yeah. Oh, it's basically like, you know, uh, someone who's, you know, there's that joke about like, um, people getting a Chinese tattoo and not knowing what it means. It's exactly yeah, yeah. like that. It's, it's like that. <laughs> it's exactly like that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I love it. If people wanted to learn more about Buddhism or how it, relates to things in Thailand and Muay Thai do you have any resources or books or anything like that that people can look into to learn more well if they want to learn more about Buddhism there is a great website okay it's actually a very very good website so I would highly recommend it um yeah buddhanet.net buddhanet.net 
Yeah, that's, you know how I said earlier how I didn't know? I think the two differences in Buddhism is Theravada, Mahayana, and Vajrayana Buddhism. So there's different. Um, so is that three or two? Because I said two earlier. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's three. Okay. Yeah, there's different schools. Theravada Buddhism is based in Southeast Asia, in Thailand, Myanmar, Sri Lanka. Mahayana is China, Japan, and Korea. And Vajrayana is more around Tibetan, like Tibetan Buddhism. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, so I would recommend BuddhaNet.net. And this is basically like where I learned a lot of my, um, some of my studies on this. There's a plethora of information on there, even meditation and all that. And I think it's got the different schools as well. I think there's mention mm-hmm. of and the differences. Yeah. You have any other resources to plug? I think start off with that. Yeah. There's a lot of Buddhist books that you can read. I believe. You know, they simplified it and made it easy for people to understand. So that's also a really good thing. At the top of my head, I'd say BuddhaNet is the best way to start with. Yeah. Cool. I feel like I learned so much. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, like growing up Buddhist, I feel like these were not all, especially like the Muay Thai in Thailand kind of things. But I feel like a lot of these, like, especially the things about like energy and women's energy, I feel like these were things that I should have learned. A while ago since it is part of like my upbringing but I don't know just kind of went over my head or I didn't have the resources at the time well like with the energy stuff like I think that's not something that a lot of people know about either I mean that was taught to mm-hmm. me by mouth by one of my teachers who knows a lot about Buddhism and Hinduism and you know like he knows a lot about religion so that's what he how he told me about it um mm-hmm. so I like if you were to go and look for some text I don't know if it can be found but like you know if you search for why a woman can't enter like the temple you'll find some stuff on that and then you know you just it just takes you down like a rabbit hole you just go from one mm-hmm. thing to another and then you think about oh okay you know Muay Thai it's like what has that got to do with it okay so all these religions like have combined to become Buddhism in Thailand. And, you know, I think it just kind of links up. You just have to, there's so many different branches. And maybe other people may have like their own answers on it. And I would love to know if anyone Mm -hmm. else knows or can show me any information on this. I would love to know more about it. So that would be really cool because I love learning stuff. Yeah. For those listening, we have Helen on the show because, you know, she, I really, truly do think that she has like a good take on a lot of the issues that we discussed or just the matters that we discussed, not necessarily issues. But just keep in mind that, you know, the things that she expresses don't hold all of them to be like the absolute truth. Like she's also on her own journey to learning more about Buddhism and learning more about Buddhism in Muay Thai. So don't add us for those kind of things. <laughs> yeah. Hey, and if uh, anyone Helen, knows more information about it, let me know. Like, point us in the right direction. I mm-hmm. really would love to know about it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Helen, how can uh, people 
follow you and uh, look at your project, She Fights. I really love that project. It just brought so many stories and just things beyond the surface a little, beyond just taking a few words from a fighter about who they are. Like it just, it really captured, like, you know, the word you like to use, energy. It really mm-hmm. captured the energy of the fighters that you shot in both the photo form and also in the words. So how can people look at that? And also how can people follow you and get in contact with you? I'm on Instagram. I'm not always like very active on there, but you can find me on Instagram at helentran.co. That's where you can see my She Fights project. Hopefully I will eventually wrap that up. That's the plan because I, at the moment, I don't feel a need to continue on with it rather than, you know, I created what I did was I interviewed so many people and took so many photos and I have like thousands of images of women, you know, and their stories and there's still so much more to tell. And then I guess I reached a point where it's like, oh, you know, it's got to stop somewhere for me anyway because there's other things. I'm not just a Muay Thai photographer. I'm a photographer and there are other things that I want to explore and other areas that I want to get into in terms of photography. So for now, I think uh, wrapping up She Fight, you know, the women that I picked participated and, you know, we were able to compile like a story or basically an understanding of the struggles that the women went through. And that's what I said, you know, that's what my project was about. You know, I just wanted to highlight that the disparity really. It was to do that. And I think I achieved that. So now it's about, me wrapping up the project and then maybe doing something uh, a little bit further about it, but I'm not sure yet. So, um, mm. yeah, you can read the story there. Maybe later on I will do a website or do a link with, you know, so then you can see the photos rather than on Instagram. They're so small, but you can see it like in a bigger size. It'll be nicer to see, I think. Um, yeah. So it's, so. Uh, it's something in progress that's been put on hold, but selfishly it's something that I really enjoy so I do hope that it continues our for longer rather than stopping sooner (laughs) yeah yeah it's my little baby project I think uh you mentioning it now it's like oh you know (laughs) yeah brings back a lot of memories yeah Yeah. very very good memories at that yeah well Helen thanks for coming on to talk I know that you have plenty of other stuff to do as you're not just here to talk about Buddhism and educating us on it. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. There were things that you could learn from it. And yeah. Thank you for listening to Moyin, the first platform focused on those in the Muay Thai community that deserve more attention than they get. For more information on training, fighting, living in Thailand and other episodes, please visit moy-ying.com. This is your host, Angela Chang, signing off. See you in the next episode of Moyang.